Okay, now we turn uh, to our scripture for this morning. We've been making our way through the book of Galatians, and we're up to chapter 3 now. Um, <clears throat> we uh, will have that on the screen uh, behind me, but we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 14 of Galatians chapter 3 this morning. Faith or observance of the law. You ready? You foolish Galatians! I've been waiting like months to say that. (laughs) You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credit to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in the, in the spring of my senior year of high school, two kids from my class, they were, um, you know, they were guys that I had grown up with since, since the fourth grade. They were in a terrible car accident. And, uh, and Brad, who was my friend you know, since Little League, he had been drinking and driving. And Jeremy, another friend for a few years, he was paralyzed from the waist down. And he remains uh, that way 21 years later. And another, another friend of mine was in the car that they, that they hit. And this was very, very heady stuff, very dramatic stuff for a 17-year-old, you know, for all of us to kind of wrap our minds around as a, as a class. And I remember, of course, it was a, it, it was a Saturday night, and the next morning as I, as I heard about it, my mom, uh, she prayed with me, and she told me about a Christian leader named Johnny Erickson Tata. And she had also been in an accident. She was in a diving accident when she was 17 years old. 
And she was also paralyzed. And those of you who um, you know, read the book or, or saw the movie, you're, you're nodding at me right now, and you remember that she struggled for years with, with crippling depression. Uh, she struggled with all those questions that probably any of us would ask. Why? Why did God let this happen to me? How could a good God allow this? And she had anger, and she had rage, and she had guilt, and she was thinking through all these, all these scenarios. But even in the midst of that, she found, she found redemption. And God found her again and continued to, to walk with her. She saw that she could worship God through her tears. And she saw that she could even serve God from a wheelchair. She could serve God from a wheelchair. And my mom challenged me to read that book and then to talk with my friend, to talk with Jeremy about that. And I, and I did that. And we're still in touch today. And actually at our 20th reunion last summer, he was right there in the middle of the party, in the middle of the festivities, in the middle of the class photo that we took, you know, in his chair with a, with a smile on his face. But what would you do? What would you do if that was your child, your 17-year-old? What would you do if that was you? I mean, I just think I, I realize now how young, how young 17 is and how difficult that, that was for him and for Johnny as well to have that be you know, their lives. It just breaks your heart to even think about that. And, and yet this morning in the midst of you know, all of our, the pain of our life and the bad things that have happened to us and the difficulties and the doubt, this word from Galatians 3.13 comes to us. And it says, Christ has redeemed us. Christ has redeemed us. He redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. And he, he redeems our stories, whatever that looks like whatever pain we've been through. And he redeems us spiritually, and then he, he takes the trials that we go through, and he makes something beautiful out of them. He makes something good out of them. And I want to explore that with you this morning by just asking two questions that the text asks us. The first is how. You know, how. How, how did God redeem us? And the second is what? What? What is this redemption? You know, we talk about kind of this big idea of redemption, this capital R redemption, which for a lot of people means, well, I have a ticket to heaven when I die, and God's going to redeem everything kind of in the, in the by and by. But Jesus came and he spoke about today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of redemption. And even while we walk this earth, there is redemption for us. God is working that out in our lives. So, how is God working redemption out here and now? That's a question that I want to pursue. So, how and what? And I, and I hope that, you know, as we go through this message, as we reflect on this, that we, we get a deeper sense of gratitude for the redemption that God is bringing into our life. So, so first, how? You know, how did God 
redeem us. Well, verse 13 says that God redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. It reads, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And Paul, he's reminding us that nobody, you know, nobody can live up to the law, right? We read those Ten Commandments this morning and, and you know, I can't keep them, <laughs> Not if I look at my heart, not if I look at the way that Jesus taught about them. But the law drives me to the gospel. The law drives me to Jesus. The law causes me to look at Jesus and say, he lived them out perfectly. He loved the Lord with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's done that for me. And he he took the curse for me. Deuteronomy 21.23 is what Paul's quoting. Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. And God's word doesn't change. So those words that were written a thousand years before Paul are fulfilled. They're fulfilled. But in a way that nobody could have expected. And in a way that nobody would have thought. It was, you know, we could say it was ironic. Because how could you predict that? Nobody would have expected that God's own son would be the one that's cursed, would be the one that hung on a tree. That his children wouldn't have to take this curse, but Jesus would bear it for us. The Apostle Paul has put this together in such a beautiful way that I think few people in the, in the ancient world could have done because think about his life. He's been studying, you know, Deuteronomy since he was a little boy. He's been memorizing it. He's been working it through. He's been teaching it to other people. And then he encounters Jesus and he realizes what's happening. And he puts it together in this, you could even say a systematic way of Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. That's what Jesus was doing when he hung on that cross. He removes the curse from us. And so then he brings it and he makes it so practical for this Galatian church. He says, you don't have to become Jewish to follow Jesus. You don't have to be circumcised to follow Jesus. You don't have to do all of the laws because Jesus did that for you. And that's how Jesus has redeemed you. Jesus took that curse. Well, what? You know, what does this actually look like in our lives today? You know, Pastor Pete, point me to something that shows how this stuff works. How did Jesus take our place? How do we get redeemed? Well, Pastor Nicky Gumbel, he tells this story about a man named Max Colby. And he was born in 1894 over in Poland. And he was called by God to be a Franciscan priest. And when the Nazis came to power in Germany and in Poland, Maximilian, he saw them for what they were. And he used his writing ability, and he even had an amateur radio, and he had a radio show, and he was telling people, these people are evil. What they're doing is evil. And he was arrested and sent 
to Auschwitz, the concentration camp, in May of 1941. But even though he was in a concentration camp, he didn't stop being a priest. I love that. That's kind of an aside in the story, but I love that. The stories were told that he would be praying for people all the time, that he would be serving them, that he would be reaching out. It was like he just sort of thought, okay, well, I have a new parish now. I'm in this camp, but I'm going to keep serving as a pastor and as a priest. Well, a few months into his time in Auschwitz, a prisoner escaped. And the, the Nazis, in, in their cruelty and in their hatred, they said, we're going to kill ten people, and that'll teach people that they can't run away from us. So they chose ten men to, to go to a, a bunker where they would be starved. No food, no water. And one of the men cried out, and he said, my wife, my children, they'll never see me again. And Max said, I'm a priest. I have no wife. I have no children. I'll take his place. And to the amazement of everybody watching this, the officer, the commander of that camp said, okay, if you want to die, we'll we'll take you. And they took them into the bunker. And within a few hours, Maximilian had them singing hymns together, praying together, rejoicing and singing And after two weeks, the other nine men were dead. And Max was still there. They couldn't kill him. He had the joy of the Lord. And so they had to uh, kill him with, with lethal injection. And the rest of his life, the other man, the man that that Max replaced, his name was Francis, he went around telling everyone what had happened. That this guy took my place. This guy saved my life. I was spared. 25 years later, he was invited to the Vatican. And in front of hundreds of thousands of people, he told them, I want to give thanks to him for the gift of life. He saved my life. He gave me life. 50 years later, he went to a church in Houston, Texas called the Maximilian Colby Catholic Church. They named a church after him. And he said, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I will consider it my duty to tell about this heroic act of love. Francis lived until he was 93 years old and told everyone what had happened to him, how his life had been spared. God gave him 53 more years. Isn't that just a perfect picture of the gospel? Isn't that this picture of how Jesus redeems us, how Jesus takes our place, how Jesus is cursed and we get to live? He took our place. He took our place on the cross, just like Max took Francis's place. And then Francis goes around the rest of his life telling people what has been done for him. Just like we do. We're filled with gratitude when it really hits us that it's like this. We go around and we carry it with us. And that's how it changes us. And that's how we're, we're redeemed. That's how Jesus redeemed us. By becoming a curse for us. By taking our place. Now, 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 now. Second, what? What? You know, what is redemption? 
Because redemption is a word that's thrown around a lot in church, and I want to make sure that we're picturing the same thing when we talk about uh, redemption. So uh, a Bible dictionary says that redemption is the action of being saved from sin, evil, or error, or the action of regaining possession of something in exchange for payment. So it's the action of being saved, and it's also the action of regaining payment. Well, Jesus has done both of those things. Jesus has saved us, and Jesus has given himself in payment to get us back. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 10. He's rescuing us from the curse of the law. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. But again, what is this you know, what does this look like? How does this bear itself out in our world today? Well, last summer, the summer of uh, 2018, our son Silas was, you know, sort of three going on four. And he was in that stage of life where he, he thought he could swim, but he really couldn't swim. You guys, you remember that with your, with your kids. And we had to watch him like a hawk around any pool or lake or any body of water. And um, I want to say, first of all, that I was not at this particular gathering. You know, I was probably, you know, uh, you know visiting someone in the hospital or doing my good deed for the day. But I was not at this, uh, at this party at, the, uh, at Dave and Lynn's house. And little, little sweet Hyatt Covey and Silas Armstrong were sitting on the edge of the pool, you know, kind of pointing at the water and playing with things. And the next thing we knew... Silas was in the pool, you know, flipped over, down in there, sinking like a rock, fully clothed, no bathing suit, no, you know. And fortunately, many adults were watching this, and Lynn snatched him right up, grabbed him, dripping out of the water, carried him over, took him back to to his mom, crying and struggling and everything. And I guess what I want to say here is that Lynn is very Christ-like, um, in this example, she's the Jesus figure in this, uh, in this story. But you could say that Lynn, you know, she, she saved Silas or she redeemed Silas. And um, I, I knew that they'd be out of town this weekend, so I, so I embarrass her. So, uh, you know, you can embarrass her next time you, you see her and tell her how thankful I am that she became Jesus to my son. Uh, but that's... That's how serious it is. I mean, we, we were dead in our sins without him. We were, we were drowning and without, without life. And it's, it's that serious and it's that real. You know, it's as real as, as, a, as a young boy drowning in a pool. That's redemption, that Jesus would rescue us and bring us out of that. And, you know, millions of things in life are not life and death. You know, they're not that serious but this is literally life and death. <laughs> you know, what we think about this, the things that we talk about in church every week, you know, sin and salvation and Jesus and God and grace and truth, they are. <laughs> you know, they're the most important things in the world. And what we think about them and how we live them out are absolutely crucial. I don't... I don't doubt that one bit. 
How we live them out is so crucial. And Jesus rescues us. He redeems us. And that's, that's my only hope. You know, that's my only hope. That's part of redemption. That's part of what Paul's talking about. But the second part is that he, he buys us back. He gets us back. Jesus is bringing his children home. Jesus paid the penalty so that God could, could have us back. And again, I think sometimes we sort of rush past this idea. Or, you know, we've got this hymn. I love it, but maybe it's a little bit dusty. Maybe it's a little bit old. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a guilty stain, but he washed us. And may that never grow old. May that never get dusty or stale. May we never grow tired of talking about Jesus or his redemption or the price that he paid for us. A lot of us have the the Heidelberg Catechism you know, the first question and answer memorized. It's very, it's very near and dear to our hearts. You know, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We belong to him because he's paid that price. He's paid that price to bring us back. To use a really trivial illustration... Somebody gave me a $25 Amazon gift card for uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. Public service announcement, there's only one more week. So, you know, get those. Get those. Chad and I need to feel appreciated. We really, we really need to feel appreciated. So, just kidding. We're fine. We're fine. But somebody gave me a gift card, and I used it last night to buy a Daft Punk record. So I don't have that anymore. And when I used the code off there, what did I do? I threw it away because it's not worth anything anymore. That's how it was with Jesus. When you redeem something, when you redeem a gift card, it's gone. You've paid that price. And that's what Jesus did. <clears throat> we, one of the mistakes that we can make is we just sort of say, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's, isn't that great? Isn't that amazing that we, we have this ticket to heaven when we die? And, you know, God will make it up to me, everything that I've suffered here. And that, that is true. And yet, you know, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, I want, you to get, I want you to get this. I want you to hear that he's a God of redemption for today. That... You know, Joel 2.25 is true, that he will redeem the years that the locusts have eaten. But it's not just in the by and by. It's not just in the new heavens and the new earth. God is working out his redemption in our life today. And God actually calls us to be part of what he's doing in the world today. And that's a redemptive work. You know, God... In the meantime, while we're here, God is with us. I got to teach the prep class this week, and and we're explaining to them about how God gave his name to Moses. He said, I am. I am. How do you explain that to a second grader? God is with us. Wherever your life takes you, the next 70, 80, 90 years, God is with you. 
through the ups and downs, through the times that you forget about him. God is with you because God is I am. He was what he was. He is what he is. He will be what he will be. And he journeys with us to bring that redemption. There's no brokenness so great that God cannot redeem it. That's the God that we serve. And isn't it amazing when God uses us to point people to redemption? But how, how do we do that? How do we be part of what God's doing? We, we become honest about what we've gone through. Psalm 32 that Jennifer read. You know, when we hold it inside, the, 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 our lifeblood dries up. And yet when we share, we see redemption. There's a saying in recovery. You're only as sick as your secrets. When we bring our secrets into the light, when we say, you know what? I went through a divorce too, and it was really hard. When we say, you know what? My family had some crazy in it growing up too. You know what? I've got things that are really hard for me to talk about. When we bring those out, and when we say, you know what? I'm here for you. I can walk alongside you in this. That's when healing comes. Our enemy, our enemy, the devil, he hates it when we are real, honest, and vulnerable with each other. When we say, I need God's redemption. I need him to work in our lives. Because so much of our life is messy and broken and pain-filled. So many of us struggle with anxiety and depression. And even this redemptive process that God takes his people through, even that is really messy. Even that doesn't happen how we hope it will or on the timeline that we want. And yet, God has the last word. God has the last word. And God's last word is Jesus. Jesus who brought redemption. Jesus who came back from the grave. Jesus who took the curse of the law upon himself. I want to close by talking about that woman that I spoke about in the beginning, Johnny Erickson Tata. Today, the reason she's on my mind is she turned 70 this week. She's been in a wheelchair for 53 years. And during that time, she has, I'm just going to lift it off, it's amazing. She's written 48 books on disability and Christianity. She has received eight honorary doctorates from seminaries and colleges. She's become a number one international best-selling author. She was on the committee that wrote the Americans with Disabilities Act, which changed everything as far as accessibility for disabled people in our country in 1990. And this is my favorite because I'm a big track and field guy. She was the chaplain of Team USA for the Paralympics. In 2000. So awesome. She's a picture of redemption. You know, so God can say to anyone, if you're in a wheelchair, if you struggle with depression, if you don't feel like you have very much faith, he's still a God of redemption. He still works in your life. She has so much to say about suffering, and when she talks, I want to listen because of her life, because of what she's been through.
Here's what she says. She said, Jesus went without comfort so that you might have it. Jesus postponed joy so that you might share in it. Jesus willingly chose isolation so that you might never be alone in your hurt and in your sorrow. All these things alone are enough cause for great gratitude in our lives. For deep thankfulness at what God has done. God redeemed her. He, he saved her from sin and he paid the price for her. And that's what he's done for you and for me. So the encouragement is to just watch God move. You know, watch him do his redemptive work. Whatever you're going through, whatever pain there is, God can redeem the broken parts of your story. And we get to worship this God, this God that is redeeming all things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being the God of redemption. The God that looked death square in the face and overcame it. The God that looks at all of our problems, little and small, just gently invites, invites us to participate in what, in what he's doing. God, thank you that the gospel is true, that you have redeemed us, that you took the curse And that anything that we are going through, any struggle, any pain, anything that we don't understand, you can work it out. Holy Spirit, show us how to be honest with people around us, to find safe people that we can talk to about the evil that's been done to us and the evil we've participated in. And that we see more and more of your redemption, that we would be vulnerable and open as you were, Jesus that our lives would be changed and that people would look at Christians and see the beauty of redemption. Shine through us, Lord, to, to a world that is watching. We ask this all in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.